all of this grew out of the whole financial crisis of 2008, 2009. So you had all these disgruntled people. You had Occupy Wall Street. People were becoming increasingly disillusioned with the financial system. And it sort of just seemed like that frustration dissipated and the economy recovered. But meanwhile, behind the scenes and underground, there was like this fractal thing stewing and growing I think that we're just scratching the surface of something that's bigger than we can even really fully wrap our heads around. Greetings, future fossils. Welcome to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. One of the defining characteristics of our time is we are seeing the very beginning of a radical transformation in the way that we are able to relate to one another in society. We are becoming aware of the invisible environment, the consensus layer that determines the kinds of decisions that we are able to make together. The unexamined assumptions about what we thought we understood about money, about trust, about agreement, and about our shared reality. I am, of course, talking about Bitcoin and the blockchain more generally and more accurately, and how the entrance of these technologies into the mainstream conversation signals a really profound shift for us as a species. I mean, we're talking about a shift on the level with the rational enlightenment or the renaissance the invention of the printing press. Folks, it's not hyperbole to say that we are going to live through a thorough transformation of all of the things that we take for granted in this society, starting with banks and governments. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows that my brain tends to take this into the most cosmic imaginable places. And I'm already comparing the cryptocurrency revolution to great moments in Earth history, like the Cambrian explosion or the evolution of flowers and pollinators. I mean, it really is like that in a lot of ways. And I'll be writing and talking more about those topics in the weeks and months to come. But it seemed like the right thing to do to invite Jennifer Sodini of Evolve and Ascend and Michael Phillip of the Third Eye Drops podcast to talk about the new project that they're starting called CryptoSeer, a media company exploring the social, economic, and even spiritual implications of all of this. The third co-founder of CryptoSeer, our buddy Noah Lampert, host of Synchronicity Podcast, could not join us on the show because he's a new dad, but I highly recommend that you go back and listen to his episode of Synchronicity about cryptocurrencies. It's called Crypto Synchronicity. And it's a fine introduction to the basic technical dimensions and the mechanics of this and how you can get involved, get some skin in the game, start trading cryptocurrencies if you want. That's not what this show is about. You don't need any technical understanding of the blockchain or any of this stuff beyond simply understanding that what has happened here is that we've created a kind of immutable, mathematically guaranteed public record that allows us to trust strangers without some intermediate authority whose opinion we can rely upon. And that's huge. 
But before we begin the conversation, a quick moment to thank all of you who have been rating and reviewing Future Fossils podcast on iTunes. It helps get this podcast into the ears of everyone who might benefit from it. So in the spirit of the power of networks, I encourage you, if you haven't, to go rate and review the show because it will mean there will be more interesting people in the Future Fossils Facebook group, in the Patreon comments threads, and at upcoming live events that are kindred spirits that you will connect to on a deep level and possibly have babies with one day. And I'm pretty sure that's the goal here, right? So, while I obviously cannot promise that reviewing the show on iTunes will lead to the love of your life and your own genetic continuance, I think it's a fair bet that it will improve your social life and the quality of your conversations. Also, a big thanks to the Bleeping Tapes, the first band to ever support Future Fossils podcast on Patreon. They've joined in the exclusive coterie of listeners who are supporting this show with a couple bucks a month. Super helpful. Here's some things that I've put out through Patreon in the last month so you have an idea of what you're getting for that five bucks or whatever. My audiobook for my short science fiction story, An Oral History of the End of Reality. The original music for P3M5, a plurality of plays about privacy and surveillance in the digital age. A chapter from my upcoming book about the future of body hacking and human sexuality. And so soon I'm going to include it in the last month. Not one, but two special patrons-only episodes that will be released before the end of the year. This show's a lot of work, and I'm so, so glad that you take the time to listen. Your attention is worth more than the $2 or whatever. So thank you. It means the world to me. Lastly, I want to give a shout out to my friends at the Body Hacking Conference here in Austin, February 2nd through the 4th of 2018. I'm pretty excited. I'll be moderating a panel at this conference about human augmentation, personal expression, democratized medicine, and bringing the DIY ethos to our own bodies. If you've ever wanted to be in the same room as genius expert mad scientists who have found ways to tweet themselves orgasms or are <laughs> like my buddy Meow Ludo Meow Meow currently embroiled in a legal dispute with the police for embedding his chip from his public transit card in his hand, then you want to go to the Body Hacking Conference, bdyhax.com. See you there, I hope. I hope this conversation turns you on and gets you excited about the awesome revolutionary age that we are living in. If you have any questions about any of this stuff, feel free to reach out to me at futurefossilspodcast at gmail.com. It is so important to me that I do everything in my power to help people learn about these liberating new technologies. Which, by the way, you can read about. There's plenty of educational information in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy! Let us begin then, shall we? This is a long overdue conversation. Yes. Indubitably. <laughs> okay, so it's a bummer that we couldn't get Noah 
on the call today, but be, you know, he's a new dad. But I'm glad that I have two of the three main heads from CryptoSeer here with me today to discuss this phenomenon social cultural psychological financial spiritual technological phenomenon of the blockchain and related distributed ledger technologies and what they mean for us in this moment in history i think that's a fair a fair place to start don't you all think for sure i do i do think but i do also think that many people have not considered all of the angles you just presented in terms of cryptocurrency, in terms of Bitcoin, etc. So how do you, when you say all those adjectives attached to this phenomenon, what do you mean by that, sir? Well, okay, so like we actually, uh, Jen and Michael, we, we haven't had a, a chance to really talk about the CryptoSeer project. And right now, I'm just going to be very curious and I think it's good to give everybody a little bit of a download on what you're actually doing. And then we can take the, uh, I think from there, it becomes like a 50,000 foot approach to Mm -hmm. the topic in a very natural way. Um, So yeah, I'll kind of begin of where it came from. And then I think Michael Phillip can elaborate on where it's probably going. So the conversation for it started for me uh, a few months back, my ex-boyfriend ending board member of Ethereum. And he had told me at a really good time to invest in Ethereum. So at that point, it was at $30 a coin. And I put some in and I started doing really well. And Bitcoin cryptocurrency, all of this had kind of entered my life through my relationship with him, which was around 2010 through 2012. So um, I noticed, you know, as this kind of growing trend and expanding consciousness has been happening, there's been a new consciousness around money and kind of dissolving this illusion that we we've been living in about, you know, paper money and the Federal Reserve and this this crazy system that we're in. And the fact that, you know, a new system of money is emerging is is so profound. Um, just the implications of that alone are so huge. So this has kind of been in my consciousness and all this was happening. And um, as the crypto conversation I've noticed started to grow, I thought it would be a good idea to create a platform for news and insight and education kind of relating to it for newbies and and enthusiasts and um you know i had originally been discussing the idea with uh my friend matt who works with time wheel and you know matt yeah we all met at psychedelic science (laughs) yeah matt humbles yeah (laughs) um and he kind of you know guided me on on what he thought for the aesthetic and we created a logo and and a name and it just sat dormant for a few months (laughs) and then i started talking with michael and noah about the idea and it's just kind of been growing from there so michael phillip you want to kind of take the mic (laughs) yeah yeah and and obviously i agree with everything you just said and i think that contextually if you just look at where we are in the scope of history which i like to uh, go off on flights of mental masturbation about from time to time believe it or not as, as as listeners may know if they listen to third eye drops but one of the key trends is just this phenomenon of decentralization this you know power structures who typically hold the reins and control the flow of energy that is breaking down in every sector and money is one of the last kind of 
sacred cows in that respect where it's just really difficult to understand how one could practically take that power away or start to exercise some modicum of control over that power when you have these giant, you know, conglomerated power sources like federal reserves and governments and militaries backing those things. But it's been done. I mean, we have a market cap now over $500 billion in this cryptocurrency market. And the other major part of this that I think crypto seer is like trying to nudge is changing the language around it, like you were doing in the beginning of this conversation. Because everybody is thinking of this in terms of it's it's money, it's some kind of, you know, um, sort of trivial, weird uh, phenomenon that's going to, you know, just create some sort of temporary uh, bubble and some sort of hobby for weird tech nerds and they're going to make a little bit of money off of it but just like pogs and just like beady babies it's going to go away like ha ha remember those dorks who traded cryptocurrency those guys are you know and obviously for for those of us who have that and i'm not going to say i have a fantastic deep understanding i don't read the technicals i don't code in javascript or any of the languages that a lot of these pieces of software slash coins are written in but i do understand from a high level what's going on and it's obviously far more significant of than than some sort of trend or some sort of you know momentary pop culture zeitgeist thing so given that I think the next move, like I was just alluding to, is to change the language around it. You know, what, aside from just thinking of this as digital money, what is this? And we're starting to build some of that language and we're trying to figure out how to disseminate that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's right to. You know, I've been, I've been looking at a lot of stuff recently, educating myself as much on this topic as I can uh, for the last nine months or so when, you know, since things have, I've been, you know, following it for years, but like an idiot, I sold out my long term. I'm going to buy a Tesla with this one day. I'll just show you all holdings uh, in the fall of last year at a loss. And, and at any rate, that's that's all behind us now. Right. Because because part of. I feel like learning to participate in the exponentiality of all of this, like learning to serve this, uh, like serve and surf this extraordinary wave of change requires a kind of like flow state presence where you can't focus on the mistakes that you've made beyond the point that they have something to teach you. It's like, you got to keep your head like fully in the game and like your wits about you. But at any rate, the thing that I keep seeing is that we're still at this early stage with this new technology and this new way of seeing and understanding and relating to the world that is engendered or like encouraged by this technology, you know, in the, in the way that every medium kind of creates the consciousness that occupies that medium, you know, and that the television consciousness and the internet consciousness are very different and that there's this, this much deeper, mature network consciousness that's emerging here what do we specifically mean by that i think the video that's really been doing it for me lately is richie Etwaru's tedx talk he's a syracuse university professor and he was talking about the scalability of trust 
and that if you put away all of the language about cryptography and like the cypherpunk bullshit that everybody's right. so right. so like super obsessed with like all of us love playing you know spy games with long numbers and shit but what it really boils down to is that this is a, a crisis that we've been living in for longer than we've been alive for hundreds of years where society has scaled beyond the human being's ability to directly like participate in it in any meaningful way and so like the institutions of our world are in control and the people are not and that you know this is a way that it's not just about rich people versus poor people it's about individuals reclaiming agency within and over these massive organizations that we have come together to create these like planet scale institutions that we've created in the modern age and like suddenly mm -hmm. we have a way of trusting one another that's like guaranteed by math instead of by the external authorities of these third parties and it's a total renaissance so anyway end rant yeah um, you know, when I first got into crypto, it was through my ex and, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just was around it so much and absorbing it from him. And after our relationship ended, I had the majority of my Bitcoin, all of my Bitcoin and Mt. Gox and that platform got hacked and overnight I lost everything I had. And, you know, it, it's four years later, this whole debacle is still going on, but it was because it was so new and there was so much malleability. So I think even the mistakes through this are not necessarily like mistakes. I think they're all learning curves and going into it with a beginner's mind and looking at what the implications are for this in the long term. You know, that we'll, we'll have losses, we'll have gains, whatever else. I, th I think, you know, there's something to be said about those moments because they are stepping stones in a way. Totally. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking just before is that I think it's really easy to, in hindsight, see these great works that were done, you know, throughout civilizations like the uh, transcontinental railroad building or something, because this was literally done on the physical blood, sweat and tears of thousands of people. But I don't think a lot of people realize that something exponentially more culturally significant than that is occurring right now like we're building a non-local you know trans world mesh railroad of ideas <laughs> and money and anything that does not exist there yet that does not occupy a non-local space in that dimension of human consciousness yet will and this is the beginning of how value is going to do that. And, you know, Michael, I like you and I just did a podcast last week and we were talking about, you know, the kind of bottom line here and what money is going to look like in the future. And I said, I don't think it's ever going to be either or, but I can promise you that mainstream fiat money is going to adopt a lot of the features of cryptocurrency. They're going to run it off blockchain. They're going to whatever. Then I kid you not, man, yesterday, I see a video of that. This is douchebag, uh, Jamie Dimon, the CEO <laughs> of of Chase, and they're already doing it. They're already using this 
model to transfer money across the world. There's a video that I posted in the the CryptoSeer group, um, and he's saying like, I, I love cryptocurrency, I love the blockchain. God bless the blo- blockchain, but this should be backed up by fiat money. This should be government. This should be the dollar cryptocurrency, the pound sterling cryptocurrency, not this like decentralized bullshit currency it was basically his <laughs> argument so he's like I, I i love this as long as we still have control over it which is obviously a joke because you can't yeah. like it, it's a pandora's box type of situation and you can't stuff it back in at this point if you try to regulate it, it and i'm sure i'm sure we're in the wild west right now i'm sure it will be siphoned off of by the government i'm sure within a few years you're going to sign into your coinbase account and see oh i have a thousand dollar gain and the automatic 20 percent to the government is just shaved off like it's going to be something like that where you can't even you know um avoid it but still well those are the, those still, are for the people that don't know how to hack like that's the that'll be the 101 entry level thing that we're that we're all used to you know and i think that one of the, the big change here is uh, a change in the democratization of financial literacy as a big part of this and like an understanding of the mechanics of trust and the way that value is created and that that's that's a huge component of this like structural change in consciousness that that this new technology is like encouraging in us i think that's why it's so important to have the conversation that it is an intersection of consciousness and commerce and currency and all these things are interrelated and if you can come to to understand them from a different point of view, it can completely transform your worldview because so many people are still stuck. You know, I was in Connecticut last weekend with this dude and I he had like, you know, his ex-wife and her husband both worked for Barclays Bank. I'm in this like $15 million mansion and these people are telling me that Bitcoin is only used by drug dealers. And I can't support anything that's only used by drug dealers. <laughs> you, you, oh, you guys, you, you, for real? <laughs> Do you recall there? There's a clip from the early to mid '90s that was from the Today Show of Katie Couric talking about email. Oh, yeah. Remember this? Yeah. This is exactly the type of conversation that's happening around cryptocurrency right now that we will all be looking back at in a decade. Or, I mean, we're already looking at it like it's preposterous and simplistic and childlike the way some people are discussing this, but we're societally going to be looking back on this in a decade or less and just be laughing collectively at how ridiculous it was. I think, again, that's where this sort of reframing comes in because we've had the internet around long enough now to have feelings about it. That's when it becomes important to people when when we have feelings about it, when we're having technical conversations about it. It's not impacting us and it's sounding esoteric and weird and over our head. And we're almost finding reasons to want to dismiss it because we don't have that familiarity. But as we do begin to build narratives around it and stories around it and feelings around it, that's when it's going to become really entrenched in the sort of collective psyche of the people. And I think we need to do that now. We need to do that with our friends, with our family members. We need to put it in their hands. We need to show them the power of it. And I'm sure all of you have done this. I mean, I literally have friends in my neighborhood in Meet Space that heard me talk about it, 
couple years ago and their ears were kind of perked up and it was still too weird. And then the news starts rolling in and then it's finally like, all right, take me through how to actually do this. Oh and now, I mean, I'm sure we all have multiple friends that have made thousands of dollars at this oh point. I do. My cousin, when I was talking about this summer of 2013, I, cause you know, I'd been around Bitcoin, Bitcoin, like nonstop. And he's like, ah, whatever, you're full of shit. You know what? I, like, would you do more ayahuasca? Like this means nothing. And now I'm helping him. I got him set up on Binance. He's like, what coins <laughs> do I need to buy? What do I need to invest in? All right, cool. Ayahuasca coin <laughs> you know, is he's still a, he's like a, <laughs> a good early in there. Ayahuascacoin.com. That yeah. has to be. Let's see if that's this this thing yeah, of like we got to squat on all those domain names too. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely <laughs> insofar as it's the wild west. Then it, there's definitely you know a lot of claim staking and water rights disputes going on. Um, I wanted to address this thing about the like <laughs> user friendliness of this because I remember it must have been 2009 or or 10 maybe at the latest that I I, I remember watching the original bitcoin intro video and like trying to make sense of all of this in my mind you know back when it was like three cents or whatever you had to run a full node in the network on your computer you know there was nothing you know you had to learn to code to do this shit and it just escaped me and i think that part of this this is really just symptomatic of uh something that i'm thinking about and talking about all the time with people which is our psychological flexibility our ability to adapt and learn and evolve and change with all of this stuff because i feel like you see people like jamie diamond who are you know they're trying to take this new thing and like force it to fit the mold of the old thing and it's like of course they are you know they're these are like older men mostly who have lost some of their neuroplasticity you know and the, so this like like scientific paradigms you know proceeds one death at a time in some sense and you get a clear idea of who the like flexible older people are by how quickly you can see your parents light up or not when you're talking about this stuff when they when they can see like when they can grasp intuitively that we're talking about something that's like akin to a shot heard around the world kind of like massive emancipation of human time and effort and that's just from like the possibility of microtransactions alone mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. the stuff just creates rants it just happens i <laughs> know i'm not alone <laughs> in that right now i think we're restricted to old ways of thinking and thinking disruptively within a disruptive space is adding kind of another layer of complexity because we're already we're, we're sort of you know we're drawing a crude outline around this technology right now and it makes sense for it to be based off of money because the first real implementation of blockchain was bitcoin and then it created this whole ecosystem but now we're just just moving into the era of building ecosystems over the top of this technology and for people to really see that to its truest extent is going to take some time like i think about it like i remember when we were um younger and a new video game system would come out and they would there was kind of distinct generations within the generation of the game system where they would say oh once the developers really figure out how to maximize the system's potential the games are going to get like twice as good as they are right now and i feel like it's like that but just factored 
You know, it's it's factored with the type of open-endedness that there is in this technology. Because we haven't even really explained what it is yet. All it is is a distributed network of trust, like you said, or a ledger where all the, you know, imagine um, we've all seen graphics of interconnected points. So imagine if, if instead of you get on your computer that computer sends a signal out to a server to ask for a file and then the server delivers the file and there's this sort of you know uh hub and spoke relationship to use a networking term you have the headquarters you have the guy asking for the thing now imagine if you just destroyed the headquarters and that's it and it's just person to person peer to peer intermeshed communication that's what the internet is so that's why this is the internet of money right now, but it's not just money. It's it's basically a locked down, unhackable consensus network of information flow. And people are developing applications. Like you have an Apple App Store right now. You have to go to to get applications, but people are building decentralized applications. They're building businesses over the top of this. They're building creative ventures over the top of this. They're building modular technologies to adapt to different businesses over the top of it. It's it's so – there's such a torrent of innovation happening. There's such a tsunami of ideas being thrown into this that even trying to explain it and keep up with it is almost impossible right now. And and like Jen and, and you two to an extent, Michael, know how obsessed I am with this. And I can't even keep up with it. And I do a technical day job and I can't even keep up with it. So – I don't blame people for kind of just glazing over right now. Like, it's not as bad as it was in 2009 through 2010, like you were talking about. Like, there's GUIs where you can go click around on stuff and, and get it done now. But it's still esoteric as hell. It really is. Yeah. I think that's what's interesting, transforming the language of it and being able to use creativity and art as a vehicle for understanding. Because there has to get to a point where we can articulate this to someone as though they're five years old. It's like, explain it to me like I'm five, you know? And I think art and metaphor and language are the ways that we can kind of maybe like plant an idea in a different way. So the more we understand it, the more everybody else does and so on and so forth. Definitely. Actually, I saw uh, just last night, Wired Magazine did a video where this blogger, I forget her name, explained the blockchain at five different levels of sophistication from five-year-old to expert and actually like sat down with people at these different ages and gave them, you know, the version sort of tailored to their age group. And I was like, that's very brilliant. That's an excellent example of like an integral communication. That's another interesting skill set that I feel like all of this is cultivating in me because it really does require Mm-hmm. You, you never know who's listening, but I feel like the moral mission, it's almost like if you see that one ship is sinking and this other ship is right there, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like you got to get as many people onto the, the other boat as possible. So that means like learning to communicate as effectively as possible. And there's that dimension of it also. But Jen, I, I'm curious to hear from you as, as someone who's been in this for as long as you have, what you see is the sort of ultimate humanitarian or like evolutionary potential of distributed ledgers and and what can be built on them 
you know, where I've taken my, my studies in the spiritual and esoteric realms is everything's about dissolving boundaries, right? And we live in a very big world and there's so many people within this world and the global currency where, you know, you can do business anywhere and it's universal. That's huge. And even in the video where we first put out for cryptos here with the beginner's guide to cryptocurrency, how many people don't have access to a bank account, but have access to the internet, you know, how that can free so many people and liberate so many people from poverty. And I think that we're just scratching the surface of something that's bigger than we can even really fully wrap our heads around. And it's funny because I've never been a mathematics person or a tech person. My strength has always been in art and words, you know, going back to when I kind of first had my awakening and every layer of reality being stripped away. I never really understood how oppressive and detrimental our financial system was until I had discovered this little video on the internet um, about waking up from the American dream. And it was just this cartoon showing you how our money system was created and what it all kind of has evolved into and, and really the implications of, of it. And it helped shift my perception. And I just think that the the consciousness behind the blockchain and crypto is starting from such a like intentional, incredible, disruptive space that merging away from this this hydra that <laughs> with all these heads and corporations and craziness. I mean, it's just there's so much there for creating a regenerative society in so many ways. Sorry about the tangent, yeah. but that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I like the direction you're going with this because you're <laughs> getting into the sort of yeah, that's that's the entire form of communication on on this program. Well, I guess it's it's this is mul- potentially multiple programs, but all of them. Um, what you're getting to is something I actually heard Elon Musk talk about recently, in that he has his kids in the school where it's problem based learning, where you're not learning. This is a wrench. A wrench tightens and loosens screws. What you do is you're like taking something apart and then realizing I need a wrench to take this thing apart. Because when you're just learning about arbitrary, isolated things, it's not interesting. It doesn't make sense. But when you start talking about all of the problems something has, then you realize where the gaps are and and that you need to like fill these cracks in or you need to build something new. And that's exactly what's going on with the financial industry. I think everybody could name dozens of problems like interest rates, student loans, uh, subprime mortgages. Like you were saying, people without banking, remittance fees being ridiculously high. If you live in a different country and want to send money somewhere else, uh, there's no, you can't build wealth in your checking account. Uh, You know, it's like all of these things, like cryptocurrencies either directly or indirectly solve literally everything I just said. And and again, that's just scratching the surface. These are just like proto-embryonic type applications for this stuff. And then, like, you got this layer of smart contracts on top of that. So I heard a really interesting thing. Uh, I think it was – I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been Fernanda Ibera of the Holochain Project that was talking about this the other day. But uh, it was, you know, somebody working on this layer of disintermediating the legal system. So you don't have to go to a notary anymore. And we take this for granted in the United States, but in Mexico and many other countries – the process of notarizing a legal document is sometimes so extremely expensive that people cannot start family businesses like they can't get the paperwork notarized they can't jump through the the layers of like bribery and other greasing that has to happen in that progress and so 
there's this whole other part to it too, which is the empowerment of small business actors. And we're seeing this, you know, with the crypto trading boom that people are able to participate in the market at a level of minor investment, you know, whereas before, like to play the game on the stock market required way more money than most of us have to play with, Mm -hmm. you know. And so it's if you think about it in terms of a fractal structure and energy flowing through the whole system, then you know, water flows through a fractal river system a whole lot better than it flows through a linear aqueduct because the water moves that way. And so, you know, money and and other forms of energy want to move that way also. And so the smaller of a minimum transaction, the smaller of a minimum investment, then suddenly we have like this massive wealth that each of us possessed as people that we that we're not actually getting into the the economic system or the legal system originally and now we can and so i see it as this enormous liberation of human potential in a non-coercive way because there's nobody in the middle that you have to bribe anymore yeah and what's really interesting is to think about you know from a freakonomics perspective how many millionaires and we have our first bitcoin billionaire you know, that this is emerging from this and how that wealth will be used. You know, are those who are kind of tapping into that, are they going to use that for the greater good? Where is it going to go? Like, there's just so many variables happening right now that, like, it's incredible when you think about it. Yeah, and the only way I can really, if I was looking at this from a 10,000-foot viewpoint is just like a conglomeration of energy and interest right now. Like where first, it's really funny because there are these things that seem to be distinct, like they're almost not related. But all of this grew out of the whole financial crisis of 2008, 2009. So you had all of these disgruntled people, you had Occupy Wall Street, you had all of these things happen, where people were becoming increasingly disillusioned with the financial system. And it sort of just seemed like that frustration dissipated and the economy recovered. But meanwhile, behind the scenes and underground, there was like this fractal thing stewing and growing and some sort of progenote emerged, (laughs) which I know Michael will appreciate, that then self-replicated into many copies of itself and infected the minds of all of these different people with tremendously disruptive ideas. And those tremendously disruptive ideas are now being talked about every, like literally every day on TV, on the radio. Like, I I kid you not, one of the most recent Instagram stories I watched was somebody at a bar and they're they're not having a conversation, anything to do with Bitcoin. But in the background, I hear a guy say, and that's why Bitcoin, and that's, it just cuts off like that. You know, it's just, it's so in the air right now that when I try to think about other moments in my life where it's been this palpable, it's hard to remember. And, you know, it, it does scare me because it's like, and I and I get why people would be like this is another Pokemon Go or something because it, <laughs> it, it 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 feels it feels like that in terms of just the the raw unbridled interest in it, but there's no conceivable reason why people would ever get bored with this. It's not like there's a new thing to move on to that fills the place of this. You know, it's not like there's a new way to go 
make thousand percent returns on your investment in six months. Like this is something that is either going to be corralled and crushed by power holders through a really like at least intellectually bloody and legally bloody sort of culling or maybe even a literally bloody one because i man i don't know i might take the streets let's let's talk about this because you know we're we're was it 500 billion dollar market cap is still like one one thousandth or something of the total money floating around in the world it's insane like that we're we're still at the very beginning of a development and adoption curve for this like new platform of human society that goes so far beyond just digital payments right so Mm -hmm. but at the same time like we're at this crisis turning point for this thing that's happening at, at a convergence of other crisis turning points. So like when I stand far back enough from this to look at it as like one of those moments, like the end of the age of dinosaurs kind of moments on earth, we're, we're living through some, some stuff that's going to take years. It's going to, you know, possibly the rest of our lives to unfold. And it's going to, it's going to change even like the conversation around it is going to change so profoundly. And I'm curious to know what you think, I, both of you think about where this is going in terms of the way that it's actually going to be sort of deployed and implemented and resisted. I mean, feel free to just like freewheel on this one. I know that none of us can truly see the future. Yeah, my kind of take on it is, uh, you know, I, the irony is, I mean, irony or synchronicity that we're having this conversation the day of the net neutrality repeal. Mm, (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I think the, you know, my favorite axiom that I say a lot and probably beat to death is out of chaos comes order. And I think it may get a little more chaotic before we find that flow state because there may be a huge divide. You know, the the old people that are so used to the system that are kind of kicking and screaming and not wanting things to change. But then the number of young people that outweigh them is massive, you know, and what will happen the more ideas get infected or minds get infected with this idea, how fast it will grow. Look at what's happened in just the last few months. I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of weirdness, wildness, craziness, chaos. But I think, you know, any any real revolution comes at that kind of price. But I am an eternal optimist. And I think that really this is kind of something that needed to happen for something to dismantle. So, you know, we can be in a new space. You bring up an interesting point bringing up net neutrality because one of the core pieces of functionality of this technology is decentralization. So I will be interested to see if if we can leverage things like decentralized applications and blockchain to circumvent this shit. Like if we can just completely cut Verizon or whomever out of the chain completely so i don't need to ask them for permission or access to something or have to pay an extra fee for something but it's tricky because you need ip you need internet to do anything so unless some sort of white knight savior sort of scaffolding to shoot light through 
shows up <laughs> that isn't an ISP, we're going to have to still rely on them. But I, I do think it's ripe for disruption because um, I won't get into like super like technical details, but the idea of some sort of like Wi-Fi mesh network that's citywide isn't as ridiculous as it used to be. And I know a lot of cities do already have like municipally run internet. And I think we look at that as not ideal. But I think as the years go on, speed is going to start being like a negligible thing. Like having enough throughput is not going to be a problem. And we're not going to need to rely on, you know, billion dollar corporations to provide the internet speeds we want. And once we have that, then it's almost like net neutrality is sort of a moot point because there's no way for them to keep the gate anymore, if that makes sense. So what I'm hoping is that we can circumvent this at least long term and maybe people's frustration will speed that process along. Maybe there are already people who develop in this space who have thought 10 steps ahead of what we're talking through right now, and they're already working on, you know, a decentralized way to circumvent internet service providers who want to throttle your Netflix or prevent you from doing whatever, you know, because it's not somebody that they have a an agreement with like one of the easiest ways to understand this is you know how if you have a certain cable company you'll see an ad sometimes where they'll say they want to stop carrying espn call your cable company and don't let them do this this is what we're opening the door for with net neutrality like if if netflix and verizon can't come to an agreement they can just be like all right no netflix and that's a really easy to identify example. And it could be worse and it could be 10 times more insidious and slippery and snaky. You know, it's kind of like, again, like we always talk about, Michael, the the shadow potential to this, to this decentralized sort of utopian view where we don't have to have power holders is what if the power holders double down and become twice as powerful and really destroy all of you know, this innovation, that's what we need to worry about. Well, I mean, yeah, you're looking at the gentrification of the commons, which has been going on for (laughs) hundreds of years. I mean, that's what the Irish revolution was fought over was the enclosure act, you know, where these people that lived on the land were no longer allowed to hunt their own game. And what was supposedly, you know, you know, all of the land that they'd been working for generations belonged to England. Like, give me a fucking break. The idea that, that you can just sort of turn a key and suddenly it's all yours. Like, we've we've let this happen because we were too illiterate. You know, you, you guys brought up earlier all of this coming out of the 2008 financial crisis around the same time as Occupy Wall Street and that these two things, I think, grow up together because the Occupy Wall Street movement was where they tested these wireless mesh network routers to connect occupiers. But we are getting to a point that I think is on display in this fantastic story in the Project Hieroglyph compilation that Neil Stevenson edited. I forget the author of the story, but it's called Johnny Apple Drone versus the FAA. And it's this guy, just this 3D printer, just like belching these little grasshopper drones that form a wireless router mesh network over the Midwest so that people can use the internet around the major telecom companies. And then like the FAA goes after him ultimately because it's all this, you know, the Hydra that you talked about. But I think, I mean, that's a very believable future. That's a very believable stopping point on the way to this 
this uh you know where the the next wave of stuff has has fully digested that kind of holdover oligarchic structure uh, yeah i i agree i mean i i would like to think that the oligarchic structure is not long for this world and these are just these sort of like swollen buttoned up things that get to just keep existing and growing because of tax loopholes and having their like literally their hands down the pants in some cases of the people writing the laws and like and the more we can you know disrupt that relationship the better of course but i don't know i mean i i suspect it's going to be a repeat to some extent of what's always happened where a disruptor comes and spoils everything, but then they become the new oligarchs and then the cycle has to repeat itself. What's, is, that, is that what's referred to as a dialectic is sort of like the, the repetition of that pattern? Is that the right phrase? I, I don't so, know, yeah. but I know there's there's a philosophical the Hegelian dialectic kind of frame, frame. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I mean, hopefully we can do better than that and by spreading it out more we can avoid repeating that same sort of mistake again like i mean i think one of the interesting things though about society now is i do think it has more flexibility than societies of the past where you literally had to get on a boat and move away or chop off the head of some guy on a golden chair to like change <laughs> stuff you know we don't have to do that anymore we don't have to like literally leave a place or start killing people to start getting societal change we can sort of you know look at what's happened with this whole third wave of psychedelics we've we've somehow managed to incrementally change the narrative and sort of seep into the roots of you know the cultural psyche and start to create a new idea and new feelings around this topic that was once so taboo that as soon as you said it, everybody would just start repeating language that they had burned into their brain from the time that they were five years old. And of course, we're not there yet in, in that scenario. We have an extraordinarily long way to go in terms of you know finance and self-empowerment and subverting oligarchies of course but i I do think it's there are there's at least a trail in the brush now there's at least a direction to go toward or a light off in the distance to kind of keep crawling toward at this point whereas before we we didn't even have that we didn't even consider the possibility that this could be a thing until very recently so i'm optimistic too is my is my general thought What's interesting, too, on the timing of this all, all too, looking back to the past or, you know, and moving forward, the fact that we are in the midst of this psychedelic renaissance on top of it all and that consciousness really is tied into it, I really think these are tools that help look at differently. And, you know, in the past where, you know, we're in a more competitive society, let me cut off the head of the person and now I take over, I think there's something to be said that our consciousness is shifting and perhaps like these ideas of competition are going away in some to some degree where we look more towards like collaboration and cooperation because like really the the end result is a better world for us all and we don't really get another one <laughs> you know as everything's kind of falling apart the shared goal is a better a better world for everybody um maybe that's just me being naive optimism but i do think that there's something to be said about it and what i've noticed you know um 
in my platform that I've created, I'm able to have conversations with people in India who are Muslim and then people who are, you know, in New York that are just kind of like waking up from a Christian background and wanting to explore something new and, and someone in Japan, you know, the fact that we can have conversations and not be so afraid of each other is an interesting component to all this too. Mm. So on that note, you know, I, I think it would be foolish of us to get through this whole conversation without even touching on some of the projects that we actually are as individuals tracking and excited about in this space, which I think will make this conversation an interesting fossil because everything moves so quickly in the crypto verse. But like, like you were just saying, Jen, the way that people are coming together to collaborate right now is really fascinating. And the way that these decentralized autonomous organizations and other crypto projects are emerging in this space from groups of international collaborators that are working on open source developer base. It's just, it's extraordinary. So I'm curious which projects you two find the most inspiring and, and why in terms of crypto projects? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, which ones do you think hold a lot of, of promise and, and potential? Well, without going into, like, too much detail, especially for people who aren't initiated into this so deeply. So, like I was saying before, Bitcoin really is the sort of first application of this technology. They were sort of born together, from what I understand. And Bitcoin was an implementation that envisioned, you know, this consensus network over the top of it with all the algorithms necessary to create certain amounts of it through certain exercises. But then the evolution of that is Ethereum, which most people have probably heard of too, if they've read anything about cryptocurrency. And the visionary part of that project is creating, like I was alluding to before, an ecosystem over the top of a blockchain, not just a way to transfer money, but a way to code, a way to build programs, a way to build businesses. And that's really why you're seeing this influx of innovation now is because you have a platform to build over the top of. So a lot of these tokens and coins that you're seeing come on the market are actually derivatives of Ethereum because Ethereum gave them the underpinning they needed to do what they're doing. So I think I'm extremely excited to see where Ethereum goes, and I want to see how people leverage that technology to start doing creative things. Because really, I still have a hard time envisioning the best way to use these technologies, but there are people out there already doing some incredible things. I, I'm sure we've talked about this already, like all of us separately or on the air, or whatever, but there really are blockchain-based and coin-based drone companies out there where you have drones or uh, airplanes that are all on a blockchain and they're simultaneously reporting bugs to each other and software inefficiencies and safety issues and air traffic controlling one another because they know exactly where they all are at all times. Like, And th this is just, again, we're going to really need that for flying stuff. cars, too. There's no yeah, way I mean, that we're going to trust people to drive themselves around in 3D. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine putting like Teslas and self-driving cars in the blockchain to prevent accidents, adding like another layer 
of autonomous driving, you know, another layer of safety, another way to prevent people from hacking because you can't hack one car and falsify the blockchain. You know, it's just there. There's just so many ways to implement the stuff. And from what I understand, Ethereum is really the most mainstream way to do that right now. So that's the one that sticks out for me. I second Michael, and I think you worded it so eloquently. And, you know, as somebody that I can't say I'm an authority on all of it, I'm still learning. I'm so inspired by you both because I really feel like I'm getting to have this firsthand kind of look at the world is transforming and being able to witness it and hear from people that can speak it so eloquently. That's what really inspires me. And um, it's incredible to be able to be in a community where we are few but many in some ways but i just i'm very inspired by what's happening here and uh, i'm going into all of it with a beginner's mind and excited and scared of the, of the future but more excited than not <laughs> <laughs> better better to stay curious than anxious and the way you know Same. i always yeah. try to look at coming back to kind of my my spiritual root and all of it and where I I say my philosophy that I I relate most to is this idea of like cosmic consciousness and everything being interconnected you know these fractal patterns of lightning and the way that our brain and veins and, and everything grows I think that using this technology is almost like a form of neurogenesis for something that was decaying and um I really am curious to see how this pattern continues to evolve yeah interesting way to put it and thanks for saying I'm eloquent. For first time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that you're eloquent, but also, you know, can dig a good meme. That's, that's always good. Absolutely. I didn't hear you say ontological even once in the last hour, Michael Phillips. I'm, I'm growing as a person. I'm growing <laughs> as a person, you know. <laughs> But I do think I do think that there are some interesting ontological issues that come up here when we examine the way that, you know, I mean, just to maybe go out on a, a real stretch here to, to save that plate I just dropped in your lap, that, you know, when you get into something like Dogecoin, which was a cryptocurrency that was invented as a joke to troll Bitcoin, but has gone up precipitously in the last few years, along with all the rest of these, you know, and then you look at... Like uh, you were bringing up Jamie Dimon's talking about the whole project of tethering a cryptocurrency to the fiat dollar. That's, a, you know, they're trying to make a joke currency into something real. And then meanwhile, a currency that was created as a joke became real on its own, like the Velveteen Rabbit or something. And so, you know, you get into these issues of like when it becomes so starkly obvious that value is just the measure of our agreement on value. That it exists, you know, because it's like supported by the network of our mutual understanding, then the potential for like ironic money that everyone's actually using is just like basically 100%. Like all of us are in on the, more and more of us are in on the joke of the social construction of the things that we find important. And that includes even like our own social identities, I think like this to me, this all tails out. And I feel like, you know, to speak to Jen and your talk about the transformation of consciousness here, I feel like it all brings us ultimately to the end of realizing that this shit is all just a, a joke. 
that like yeah. that who we think we are has no more basis in reality than the fiat dollar you know <laughs> and it's just like well or, we all just agree that it, it has value yeah or if yeah. not a joke at least it's severing the sort of idolatry sort of relationship we have with these power structures that you know want to cloak themselves in this sort of sacred untouchable garb this idea that money is this thing that only comes down from on high and your laws are this thing that only come down from on high they're playing at i mean look at what they're playing at look at the imagery on the dollar look at you know the esoteric overtones to governmental buildings and all of these things i think they're soured perverted expressions of something that was once pure and has fallen very far from the tree that it was born from so i think the idea that we are highlighting the frivolity of these things with dogecoin is is (laughs) indescribably beautiful and i think dogecoin is 50 times more sacred than the u.s dollar (laughs) all i know is i want an illuminati coin We should start one. Yeah, totally. It probably. It has to exist. Uh, sorry, to exist. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jen. It just... <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I mean, the irony of it, the fact that, like, paper money, we cut down this tree to create this currency, and it's, like, desecrating nature for something that's so unnatural, you know? And, like, people laugh about that that story of, like, Native Americans and wampum. I mean, that is actually more valuable than this, like, death that we're spreading around. But... I digress. Um, I offer Dogecoin too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had enough money to to, resi- to resuscitate it back to its former glory, but it's. I think it's just going to slide down the charts, save for a uh, every now and then kind of pump at this point. But nothing gold can stay. Yeah, that, except this whole ecosystem. I don't think the ecosystem is going anywhere for sure. And that's the thing, right? Is it's like individual organisms die, individual species go extinct, but life goes on. And I think a lot of people don't understand this about the new ecosystem that we are all developing here together, which is like, you know, a friend of mine said, what if Bitcoin is actually a CIA project? What if Satoshi Nakamoto is a group of hackers at, at CIA? Mm-hmm. who are you know have worked on this thing that they have the keys to and that you know they're just going to get everyone on to bitcoin and they're going to turn the key and make us all brain shipped nwo slaves and it's like okay that sounds great and all but all you what you've done is you've just fabulously perverted the entire understanding of this emancipatory technology to bend it to fit a dystopian fantasy that you want to happen in ways that are completely completely wrong about like it's like if suddenly everyone was like okay the third eye on the pyramid opened up and now your bitcoin is all you know nwo coin then everyone would just move to another platform like yeah and, and also to your to your alex jones listening friend Guess what? That's what the internet is. It was the ARPANET. It was created 
by DARPA for use by the U.S. military, and it's completely gone out of control. It's completely out of the hands now of the people who opened the the Pandora's box, to use that example again. And the the very same thing would happen with this. It's it's so far out of the hands of one person or one power structure at this point. Like even if you annihilated Bitcoin today, you chop the head off of 50 or 60 percent of the whole market cap of the whole cryptocurrency ecosystem ethereum would rise right to the top and that would be the new gold standard and things would just proceed that's what would happen we saw that happen with napster and i think it's important to remember that that like basically where the music industry goes there goes the rest of digital existence and so we have a clear idea and like very recent precedent about the way that this is going to get attacked and the way that the system, the network will respond, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, guys, that's an hour. I, uh, I really th- thank you both for taking the time. I know this call, this call was hard to schedule, but it's so timely and vital and important. And I'm so excited about your project. So thanks for, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, we are thank too, you. man. Thanks again for listening to Future Fossils Podcast, a member of the MindPod Network, along with such excellent shows as the Synchronicity Podcast, Third Eye Drops, It's All Happening with Zach Leary, and many, many more. Go to mindpodnetwork.com to check those out. And if you'd like to support the show, give us a rating on iTunes or stop over at patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Thank you, and have a most excellent eon.